Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Brain does some incredible things, but it's also protected by many layers of defence. So when something goes wrong in our brains, for example a traumatic brain injury, or maybe a tumour, cancer, how do we make sure our treatments actually bypass all of these defence mechanisms our brain has in place, enabling doctors to actually treat the injury or the disease that's caused? This week we find out about getting across the blood-brain barrier and some novel treatments. Brains are protected by many things, including our skull, our body, its ability to dodge and avoid injury, and even as well, internally, by the blood-brain barrier which prevents all of the blood system and everything coming into your brain and only filtering and allowing through passive diffusion certain amounts of nutrients and molecules that are needed for the brain to function. All these layers of protection for the brain are really important because they keep your brain safe in the event of an injury. So, for example, a a large traumatic brain injury, which could be caused by anything from falling off a ladder, a car accident, riding a bike and falling over and hitting the curb, or maybe from a sports injury, a concussion. All of these things can cause traumatic brain injury, and this in and of itself, the actual traumatic event, can cause damage to the brain, which is bad. But they can also end up with conditions where you have long-term lasting damage or cognitive impairment that can be caused by the inflammation response to the traumatic brain injury itself. Well, this is where, after the traumatic brain injury, the big blow, then the brain is swelling in order to protect itself. But the problem is that this, over a sustained period of time, can cause permanent damage. Now, when you have inflammation in other parts of your body, your body has a way to regulate this, and also we can treat it. You know, if you think about rice, rest, elevate ice. We think about rice, rest, ice compression elevation. All of these things are done to try and cut down on inflammation, but you can't do that kind of thing to the inside of your skull because all those layers of protection are there to prevent that exactly from happening. So when we think about trying to treat inflammation in the brain, we are really limited because we can't actually use even therapeutical drug methods to get into the brain to cut down on inflammation. You can't take an anti-inflammatory that would get into your brain because of the blood-brain barrier. This means most common anti-inflammatory molecules won't be able to actually get to the site of a trauma, which means we can't use them in the same way as we'd use anti-inflammatories to help treat an injury externally to the brain. This is a big problem because if you end up with sustained inflammation and long-term cognitive impairment and brain damage from the injury itself, it's really bad. Which means that even a blow that may not have been exactly super damaging to the brain actually ends up having a long-term effect that's way worse. In this way, brain injury, traumatic brain injury, is really sometimes even a roll of the dice and very dangerous for those who get it. That's what researchers from the Babraham Institute Immunology Research Program, like Professor Adrian Liston and Professor Matthew Holt, have been investigating and recently published in the journal Nature Immunology. Now, the paper, which is lead author, is Dr. Lydia Yishi, who is the Associate Professor at KU Leuven, and a large list of corroborators, have been investigating ways to try and get anti-inflammatory treatments into the brain. 
and not get past the blood-brain barrier, but in fact try to use that even mechanism as, well, a way to prevent anti-inflammatory treatments from getting out of the brain. You might be wondering if the brain is so good at protecting itself from injury with all these layers of defense, how does our body normally protect itself from the case of inflammation? Well, that's where, as Professor Liston from Babraham Institute points out, our bodies have their own inflammation response regulatory T-cells, which have the ability to sense inflammation and produce a cocktail of natural anti-inflammatories. And that's really one of the major functions of T-cells inside the body. The challenge is that inside your brain, well, there isn't actually that many sources of T-cell production which makes sense that it's not actually generally getting inflammation inside the brain so the body has basically streamlined what's in there to focus on cognition other important things and as a result there's not much t-cell production there that's an issue though when you do get inflammation in the brain when that rare event does happen well the poor regulatory t-cells in the brain are so overwhelmed with the request to produce this anti-inflammatory response that well, they just can't keep up with the demand and that's really a problem. So the researchers look for a way to boost the production of regulatory T-cells in the brain overall. So rather than trying to get anti-inflammatory medication directly into the brain across the blood-brain barrier, what they're looking at doing is like just boosting the ability to produce anti-inflammatory response, just the population of regulatory T-cells in general in the brain, so that the brain could itself manage inflammation and reduce damage just localised in the area of the traumatic injury inside the brain. Now, to do this, the researchers looked into the number of regulatory T-cell numbers. And the reason why they're low in the brain is because of a limited supply of a crucial survival molecule named interleukin-2, IL-2. Levels of IL-2 are really low in the brain compared to the rest of the body. And one of the reasons this is is because IL-2 can't actually pass through the blood-brain barrier. This means that production of IL-2 from other parts of the body can't make its way into the brain, which means you don't get sort of like a stabilization or normalization of IL-2 amounts across the whole system. And that means why the brain sort of ends up as an isolated case, an island, so to speak, and it doesn't get enough of this from any place in the body when it runs out effectively. So not enough IL-2, then you don't get enough T-cell. You don't get enough T-cells, you don't get a good anti-inflammatory response. So that was the logic that the researchers had to enable them to produce more of this IL-2, and thus create the conditions that the regulatory T-cells need to survive. Now, basically, if you give the T-cells more food, or this more survival molecule, IL-2, then, then they're able to reproduce and survive, and, and basically produce the anti-inflammatory response. Right, so how do you boost the number of IL-2 inside the brain? You can't get everything through the blood-brain barrier, but you can get some things through the blood-brain barrier. And it depends on the type of thing you're trying to send across. You can use what's known as a gene delivery system, which is based on an engineered adeno-associated viral vector. And this can pass through intact through the blood-brain barrier and act as like a carrier to carry not everything, but say, for example, some DNA that can be put into the brain and made to produce more IL-2. So in this way, the researchers can smuggle through the blood-brain barrier the tools that are needed, instructions rather, to produce more ILT in the brain, which will then mean you can get more T-cells up and running. 
Now, this also goes both ways. The ability of the Blood Rain Barrier to block spread of IL-2 is also quite useful because it means that if you increase the production of IL-2 and thus the T-cells get more ramped up inside the brain in response to a traumatic brain injury, what can happen is that then that would go through the rest of the body and lead to an anti-inflammatory response across the rest of the body. Now, this actually can be an issue. This kind of leak of therapeutics from one part of the body to the other can, especially in hospital settings, lead to a rise in infections. So actually, by just locking down the anti-inflammatory response to just the brain is actually really helpful. In many ways, that blood-brain barrier isolates the brain from the rest of the body, and this goes both ways. As long as you're inside and you can put your therapeutic inside and in the brain area, you actually have ability to keep it concentrated and keep it isolated so it doesn't have any therapeutic leak to other parts of the body. So the researchers designed this new therapeutic that enabled to and smuggled it through the carrier vector into the brain, and they're able to get this to produce the levels of the survival molecule IL-2 in the brain, up to, you know, not crazy levels, just the same amounts that's regularly found inside your blood. And what this allowed was the number of regulatory T-cells to build up in the brain to almost 10 times the normal amount. This just goes to show how much little or less T-cells are actually in the brain compared to the rest of the body. And then they're able to test the efficacy of this treatment, and they were able to reproduce uh, conditions re representing a traumatic brain injury in mice models, and then able to use this IL-2 gene delivery system, smuggle it across the blood-brain barrier, and see how the natural brain anti-inflammation response worked. And what they found is that with the extra IL-2 there, way more T-cells could produce a way more anti-inflammatory anti response, and the damage following the injury was a lot less in the mice model. And they assessed this by comparing not only the loss of brain tissue, but also of the ability for the mice to perform cognitive tests. And seeing the brains of the mice afterwards was really quite shocking to the researchers because you showed you could actually treat and reduce the size of the injury lesion on the brain. And this is really quite amazing because you could use this kind of treatment to have better approaches for not just anti-inflammatory and traumatic brain injury, but this mechanism of smuggling in and then using the local um, treatment mechanisms existing in the brain, just amping them up, could be used for all kinds of treatments, for example, for MS or in stroke as well. For example, by using this IL-2 gene delivery system after a primary stroke, they found in the mice models they were able to reduce the risk of a secondary stroke occurring two weeks later. And this kind of mechanism shows that, yeah, it's actually really useful to help boost the T-cell response in the brain in certain situations. You don't need it all the time, and there's a reason why our brain is protected the way it is, but after a traumatic brain injury, or when suffering from an in illness like MS, or after a traumatic event like a stroke, that's definitely times where you can use these viral vector methods to introduce that extra helping hand, not to crazy levels or using some drug, just to actually boost the production of T-cells inside your brain, the area where the anti-inflammatory action is actually needed. This is some really fascinating research published in the journal Nature Immunology. It goes to show that the isolation of the blood-brain barrier can actually help us develop better treatments as long as we can cross that border, cross that big wall, 
and get the treatments to where they need, we can help boost the body's natural responses and actually get them to be just way more efficient. With the lead author on this paper, Lydia Yishi from University's KU Uven, researchers from Babraham Institute of Immunology. So we're going to turn again back to the blood-brain barrier. And as we said before, it helps protect the brain. But if researchers, say, come up with a new and novel treatment to tackle something really important, something like brain cancer, well, if you find a way to block and stop these brain tumors, the question you have to face then is, how on earth do you get that treatment into the brain itself to get at that tumor? This is really a challenge. How do you get the inhibitor, for example, through the bloodstream and all the way to the brain to affect the tumor? That's really, really tricky. And researchers like those at the University of Michigan Rogan Cancer Center were super excited when they made an initial discovery, but then the hard graft began. How they could actually get their treatment towards the brain and get at that brain cancer tumor. Now, this work was published in the journal American Chemical Society, NANO, and first author on this paper is Mahmoud Al-Gharami, and a long, long list of collaborators, because it took a lot of people working together to try and solve this problem, multiple labs and multiple teams, to fabricate a nanoparticle to wrap up this treatment molecule and get it into the brain. Now, the particular type of brain tumor that they were focusing on was glioma. And glioma occurs where you end up with a tumor in the glial cells. These are the supporting cells of the brain and the spinal cord. And you end up with this type of tumor growing on them. And they can be low-grade, slow-growing, or high-grade, fast-growing. And can really impact all kinds of ages and lead to some pretty bad outcomes. Of course, like any cancer. And the problem is, survival rates and treatments have really improved over the last 30 years. Patients with glioma, it's really challenging. Current medications and treatments really only leave patients with a 5% chance of living 5 years after their diagnosis. Now, compared to other types of cancer, this is pretty low. And in fact, it's been a pretty static 5% at that. That means that if you have a glioma, the outcomes aren't good. Now, the challenge with glioma is that they're often resistant to traditional therapies, and because of their location in the environment, in the brain or in the spinal cord, the tumor suppresses the immune system around it, meaning that if you wanted to use an immune-based therapy mechanism, it doesn't really work. Now, immune-based therapy is great for lots of other type of cancers, but in this case, it doesn't help you. So that cuts out another whole type of treatment that you can use. And even if you could get a treatment through, you have to get it past the blood-brain barrier if it is in a glial cell in the brain rather than in the spinal cord. All of these things make it incredibly challenging. The researchers in the Castro-Levenstein lab at Michigan Medicine saw an opportunity with a particularly small molecule inhibitor called AMD3100. Now, this molecule inhibitor 
is designed to block the action of CXCR12, which is a cytokine released by the glomus cells. Now, this cytokine actually builds up a shield around the immune system, preventing it from firing up and actually attacking the invading tumor. So what they've seen is that in mouse models with the glioma, when you have a mouse model with a glioma, and that you have this inhibitor module, AMD3100, present, it actually prevents this shield, the cytokine shield, CXCR12, actually wrapping around the tumor and suppressing the immune system response. When this doesn't take place, when the immune system is not suppressed and shielded, well, the tumor doesn't get a chance to really establish The immune system remains intact and can attack the tumor cells. The problem is, the AMD3100 was having a lot of trouble getting actually to where the tumor is present. Theoretically, the molecular mechanism worked, and they could see that it could work in mice models, but they couldn't really find a way to actively get the AMD3100 to where it needed to be at the tumor. What was standing in their way? Well, of course, the blood-brain barrier. Now, the problem is that the blood-brain barrier and the bloodstream itself wouldn't really allow the traversal of the AMD3100. So, how do you get the, the drug, the treatment here, the AMD3100, into the brain? So, that's where another research lab of chemical engineering from the University of Michigan College of Engineering, researchers like Jörg Lahan, who's a collegiate professor of chemical engineering there, looking to create a protein-based nanoparticle to encapsulate the inhibitor. Basically, to smuggle and disguise the inhibitor so it could pass through the bloodstream. The professor in chemical engineering needed help from professor of neurosurgeon and medicine at Michigan Medicine, like Anushka Anjakovic, who's an expert in the blood-brain barrier itself. And what they saw is that the glioma tumors actually created an abnormal blood vessel, which makes it even harder for actual transfer with blood because normal blood flow is restricted by the tumor. So the researchers came up with a plan. Inject this AMD3100, this molecule inhibitor, which blocks this shield forming around the immune system, so preventing the immune system from attacking the tumor as it grows. So basically load up this AMD3100 with nanoparticles around it for the specifically designed inhibitor, this hiding mechanism, and then they put this into the mice. Now, the nanoparticles contained a peptide on the surface that binds to a protein most commonly found on the brain tumor cells. So this way, these nanoparticles are sort of pulling and hunting and dragging themselves towards exactly where the tumor is, which is a great way of doing targeted molecular-based delivery by binding to a protein where you know it's going to be in a bad place, the tumor, for example. So the nanoparticles travel through the bloodstream towards the tumor, and then when they're there, they release the AMD3100, which helps fix some of the blood vessels around it, but also mean that they could get onto their target, release the drug, and stop the blocking of the immune system, basically unleashing the immune system to get to work and attack and kill the tumor, or at least delay its progression. Now, the problem is, if you don't have blood flow, you won't be able to get to your target. That's one of the challenges by why were treating tumors is because they not only suppress the immune system, but they also suppress the blood flow. But by using AMD3100 with the special nanoparticle coatings, they not only restore the blood flow, but get it carried directly, the treatment directly to where it's needed most on the tumor surface. 
and unlocks the immune system response at that space so that the tumor can be attacked directly. So they've done some base studies in mice models now. But of course, further studies are needed to do in patients to see if this kind of therapy in conjunction with radioactive uh, radiation-enhanced therapy could really help improve the attacking of the tumor. Now, in the mice models that you did study, their tumors were eliminated, which is some pretty great. Now, they did reintroduce the tumor in the mice model to see if they could simulate like a recurrence where, where cancer reoccurs. And without any additional therapy, around 60% of the mice remained cancer-free. It's almost acting a bit like a vaccine. It creates an immune memory it helps the cells recognize and destroy the tumor cells when they reoccur. And this is really important because it's not only one thing to get rid of a tumor, but it's another thing to make sure it stays away. And that's really important where these immune-based therapies do really well. So there's some great research published in ACS Nano about ways of working together with lots of different laboratories, bringing different skill sets to bear to solve one of the biggest challenges of tackling brain cancers getting treatments to where it needs to be, and finding the defense mechanisms of the body and making it work for you in attacking the cancer cells. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We find out about some treatments that help drugs cross the blood-brain barrier and get to the root of the problem, like a tumor or traumatic brain injury. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.